Delays, cancellations, lost luggage. It was a trifecta of trouble this summer for airline passengers who paid sky-high ticket prices and sometimes never made it out of the airport. Millions of airline passengers missed vacations, graduations, family get-togethers, and important business meetings because the U.S. airline industry was not prepared for the increased demand. Why isn't something being done to fix a system that is clearly broken? I am Herb Weisbaum, the Consumer Man, a contributing editor at Checkbook.org. Welcome to Consumerpedia. At Checkbook.org, we're the nonprofit that helps consumers select services, avoid trouble, and save money. Because we don't accept any advertising or take money from any business we recommend, you can rely on Checkbook.org to be completely independent and objective. Now, here's the host of Consumerpedia, America's consumer expert, the Consumer Man, Herb Weisbaum. In this episode, we'll look at what domestic airlines are required to do for you when your flight is delayed or canceled. It isn't much. How the Department of Transportation has failed to regulate the airlines and what consumer advocates would like to see done to protect the flying public. Our guest is Bill McGee. He's been around the tarmac a few times. He's seen the airline industry up close and personal. Bill is an award-winning travel journalist and author of the book, Attention All Passengers. Bill recently landed at the American Economic Liberties Project as a senior fellow for aviation and travel. For those who don't know, the American Economics Liberty Project is a nonprofit that works to fight monopolistic practices in the U.S. economy. I've known Bill for a long, long time. He's a straight shooter who knows what he's talking about. Bill, it is so nice to have you with us. Thanks very much, Herb. It's always a pleasure. So before we dive into this, I want you to explain to everyone your background, why you know so much about the airline industry. Well, I've been around the airline industry for a frightening number of years now, 37 in all. I started in the industry in 1985. I worked in airline flight operations, I'm licensed by the FAA as an aircraft dispatcher. I did that for about seven years. Then I became a, a writer and a journalist, and I've written about the industry. I wrote a book called Attention All Passengers. It was a bit of a warning for all the things that we're seeing now. Uh, but for the last 15 years or so, I've been a consumer advocate on behalf of airline passengers. So how would you describe the airline's performance during the busy summer travel season? I think there's no question in my mind that this is by far the worst customer service summer I've ever seen in my 37 years. I've talked to some old-timers that go back much further than me, and they all agree. And I think it's not just opinion. I think we can back it up with statistics, and we'll be seeing more in the coming months from the Department of Transportation. But the bottom line is we saw tens of thousands of what the industry calls flight disruptions, and that's severe delays and most of all cancellations. And I want to be very clear about something. When we're talking about flight cancellations, what we're talking about this summer is not due to weather and air traffic control and issues like that. Much of this is on the airlines themselves, and we can take a deeper dive into that. We will, but let's look at those numbers. According to DOT, the 10 largest domestic airlines had canceled 3.1% of their flights in June. By comparison, in June of 2019, that's pre-pandemic, the carriers canceled 2.1% of their flights. And again, the airlines seem to be placing a lot of that blame on the weather and air traffic control. I know there were some weather problems and some air traffic control problems, but you're saying that's not the ultimate cause. Absolutely. And and again, I you know, I've been in the belly of the beast. I did this for a living for years. I dispatched thousands of flights and I canceled hundreds of flights. I know all about uh, dealing with summer thunderstorms and winter snowstorms and everything else that you can imagine. But that's not what we're talking about this year. Was there bad weather that contributed this, this summer? Of course. Yes, there was. Were there air traffic control problems and staffing issues, particularly in Florida? Yes, there was. But that is not why we're seeing tens of thousands of canceled flights in 2022. For the most part, this is on the airlines. Let's not forget they received a $54 billion 
bailout from all of us two years ago from the taxpayers, and there was only one provision that Congress put on it. Keep your staffing levels up to speed. Don't start laying people off, and then when COVID recedes and people start flying again, you don't have enough staffing. So what did they do? They found a loophole. They didn't technically lay off people, but they certainly encouraged a lot of early retirements, particularly with pilots, and that's the mess we have this year. And I want to stress, when I was when I was a flight operations manager and I had to cancel flights, it was because of situations that were occurring in real time. In other words, at the start of the day, we published a schedule that we had every intention of operating. But then there was a thunderstorm, or then there was an air traffic control problem, or there was a power outage, something like that that was beyond our control. And then we started canceling flights. What we saw this summer was really reprehensible. At American Economic Liberties Project, we call them phantom flights. There were flights that were put in reservation systems that people were able to book, and more important, people were able to put their credit card down and pay for, and that money went into the airline coffers when it was clear that the airlines didn't have the support and the staffing to operate many of those flights. And then people were finding out about cancellations, you know, on the day of or at the airport or on their way to the airport. That's the part that's really unforgivable. And that's the part, quite frankly, where the U.S. Department of Transportation should have been doing a lot more. So as a result of all this disruption you're talking about, the DOT was inundated with complaints, nearly 5,900 complaints in June. That's up 35% from the month before. So in August, a frustrated Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, called the situation unacceptable, told the airlines, look, we're going to unveil a new dashboard just before Labor Day that's going to show what you're willing to do for passengers when you cancel or significantly delay a flight. So let's talk about the dashboard. It shows the 10 largest U.S. airlines and their regional operating partners, what they promised to do if possible when there's a cancellation or delay that they're responsible for maintenance equipment or crew shortage that sort of thing such as providing meal vouchers or rebook you on another flight at no cost so the the dot is making a big deal out of this dashboard what do you think about it well it's not often that i quote sarah palin but the term lipstick on a pig comes to mind uh this is a lot of window dressing but underneath the content hasn't changed in any meaningful way the dashboard bill does make it easier for passengers to see what the airlines promise but is that enough? No, it's not enough. And I agree with you. It does make it easier. It's nice to have it all in one place for once. That's something that really should have been done years ago. And it's great to see that. But let's take a deeper dive. What is the content itself? Just to put things in perspective, in the European Union, there are regulations in place for what airlines must do. It's called the Passenger Bill of Rights. If there's an extended delay, if there's a cancellation, if you're involuntarily bumped, etc. Any problems with mishandled baggage. Canada recently followed the uh, European Union and also introduced the Passenger Bill of Rights. These systems work. They've worked for more than 15 years in Europe. They're uniform. They're consistent. It doesn't matter what the airline is. And and I want to stress, it doesn't even matter if it's a European airline. U.S. airlines, ironically, treat customers much better on foreign soil than they do in the United States. So think about that for a moment. So what do we have here in this country? What we have is the wild, wild west. That's what it comes down to. Airlines write their own contracts of carriage with very, very few regulations from the DOT. And those contracts are written by and for the airlines. Attorneys call them contracts of adhesion because you agree to them every time you book a flight. And I've had people say, well, I didn't agree to it. You did. If you swiped your credit card and uh, the money was taken out of your account, you agreed to a 60 or 70 or 90 or 200 page contract. Again, written for the airlines. So they're intentionally vague. They're filled with legalese. I've talked to attorneys that can't understand them. We're really in a bad situation when there is any kind of a flight disruption, when there's a serious delay or there's a cancellation. And the language, and I have studied this going back 25 years now, 
the language and the contracts of carriage for U.S. airlines today are intentionally vague. And by that, I mean they use the word may a lot. Talk to any lawyer, ask them what good the word may is in a contract. So it says, you know, if there's an extended delay, we may do this, we may do that. Now, we appreciate what Secretary Buttigieg is trying to do. He's trying to get them on the record as saying they're going to do this, that, and that, you know, in terms of delays and cancellations and hotels and meal vouchers and things like that. And that's great. But the fact is, without real hard and fast regulations, these things, they're ephemeral. They don't mean anything because they can be changed tomorrow. We have seen airlines change contracts of carriage on 24 hours notice or less. They go in and they'll change it. So airline promises, I'm sorry to be cynical, but I've been dealing as a consumer advocate for enough years to know that promises from airlines that are not backed up by regulations or legislation, they don't mean anything. So just to be clear, in other countries such as Canada and Europe, it's not the airline may do this if they feel like it. It's the rules say you're going to do this for the passengers if the flights are delayed or they're canceled. Absolutely. And again, I want to stress that applies to all airlines worldwide. So whether it's an Asian airline, a Middle Eastern airline, if they're operating in the EU, and that includes U.S. airlines. So as I said, that's the real irony here. I was on a, on a, a delayed flight in uh, Brussels a couple of years ago. It was Delta Airlines, and Delta handled the delay beautifully. They gave us meal vouchers and, and free internet access, and they kept us updated and advised. <laughs> and I had to laugh because I thought, well, you know, I give them an A-plus for how they handled this delay in Brussels. But if it was in Atlanta, their hometown and their largest hub, I can guarantee you it wouldn't have been nearly as good. I remember I was flying back a couple of years ago from Philadelphia and there were some delays. And I have a picture on my cell phone of the TV monitor saying like the flight will leave at 6.30 and then the time clock at the bottom says 6.47, which gives you some <laughs> indication of how, you know, up to real time these uh, the information they give passengers are sometimes. Yes, no, absolutely. And, and, and look, I mean, this summer, as I say, it's not opinion. It's not because I'm a consumer advocate and I, I'm always, you know, locking horns with the airlines. It's statistical. It's, it's factual. We all know it. Everybody knows someone who, if they weren't affected themselves this, this summer by a flight disruption, then they certainly are close to someone who was. And I mean, for me, my phone just, you know, blew up all summer long with friends and family saying, guess what? My flight's canceled. Guess what? They're not telling us, you know, when the flight is going to operate. This was an extraordinary summer. And if this doesn't tell us that this is a broken industry in terms of customer service and that the DOT is a broken regulatory agency, uh, I don't know what would. So we're hoping at American Economic Liberties Project that the lessons from this summer are going to translate into real meaningful change. And one final point, the promises you see on that DOT dashboard are when it's the airline cause problems, such as not having a pilot, not having the plane clean, equipment problem, whatever. Cancellations or delays caused by weather or air traffic control delays are not the airline's problem. So other than a refund, if the flight is canceled, and we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes, they really don't owe you anything, right? That's correct. You're entitled to a cash refund. But beyond that, it's completely up to the airline's discretion. So when does the airline owe you a refund? We're going to talk to Bill about that next. You're listening to Consumerpedia, powered by Checkbook.org. Checkbook has ratings for travel agencies in and around these seven cities. Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, Seattle, San Francisco, Minneapolis-St. Paul, and Washington, D.C. If you live in one of these seven metro areas and haven't joined Checkbook yet, check us out. At Checkbook, our advice is always free. Ratings of local services are available with a subscription. Get a free 30-day subscription by going to checkbook.org slash consumerpedia. Your flight is canceled, maybe before you leave for the airport, maybe as you're waiting in the boarding area. Maybe it's an equipment problem, maybe it's bad weather. When your flight doesn't take off, what is the airline required to do? It's something a lot of people don't know. 
Bill? Sure. The DOT regulation states that if your flight is canceled for any reason, I want to stress that, whether it's what the airlines call an act of God or a force majeure, such as weather or air traffic control, or whether it's the airline's own fault due to a mechanical issue with an airplane, a crew problem, you are entitled to a full cash refund. I really want to underline and stress cash here because that is what the DOT says. But then in the real world, every day, what we see is that airlines will offer consumers credits, vouchers, frequent flyer mileage in place of cash. So it's a caveat emptor situation, unfortunately. But I try and always remember that the average American flies less than once a year. And so for so many consumers, they get offered a voucher and they think, well, if I don't take it, I'm not going to have anything, so I better take it. But the fact is, you are entitled to cash in the case of every single flight cancellation in the U.S. And if you think I'm embellishing by saying that airlines often don't offer that cash, despite the DOT regulation, I can tell you that I have a smoking text that I could forward to you. And that was from a colleague of mine at American Economic Liberties Project just last month on Delta Airlines. His flight was canceled and he forwarded me a text he received saying, we're sorry your flight is canceled. We'd be happy to give you a credit for that flight. Now, luckily he spoke to me and I told him he could get cash. But what is the average consumer supposed to do? This is the level of deceit that we see in this industry every day. Even when there is one regulation it's really the only meaningful regulation on this issue of delays and cancellations. And it's been in place for years. And even in that case, they find a loophole and they find a way to work around it and deceive passengers. So you can see there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. So if they want to offer you miles or they want to offer you a voucher or whatever, that's fine. But they've got to tell you you're owed a refund. Would you like that or would you like one of these other options? And then you, the passenger, get to choose. Exactly. And, you know, if you choose that you want a voucher or you want mileage, that's your call. That's fine. But unfortunately, every single day in the case of flight cancellations, we know for a fact that passengers are not being told there's a cash option. So DOT is considering a rule that would define the terms canceled and significant delay, terms that are used to trigger those refunds, and terms that are not consistently interpreted by the airlines. Under the proposal, a canceled flight would mean a flight that was published in a carrier's computer reservation system at the time the ticket was sold but didn't take off as scheduled. That seems fairly obvious. Is there really a need to define canceled? How are they getting around that one? Oh, there absolutely is a need because airlines cancel flights sometimes at the last moment, as I did when I worked in flight operations, but other times they do it months in advance. And so the nomenclature here gets very tricky because in some cases the industry will say, well, we're canceling a flight three months from now. So that's a schedule change. Now, if you are planning to go to a wedding and you book a ticket 90 days out and you're told that flight isn't going to operate, what would you call it except a cancellation? Is that a schedule change to you? That's a cancellation. So there are different gradations of cancellations according to the industry. You know, this is uh, BS basically. I mean, it's, it's ways of getting around these things. So we think these definitions have to be hard and fast and they need to be very clear on the cancellations and on the delays as well. It's kind of staggering. If you look up DOT.gov and you look up what the rules are on extended delays, the DOT on its own site says, in the case of an extended delay, and then in parentheses it says, the DOT has not defined what an extended delay is. Well, what are we supposed to do with that regulation? It hasn't been defined. So what's an extended delay? It's, it's a very gray area, and we really do need to nail down these definitions.
So just to be clear, if you booked your flight 90 days in advance to go to a wedding and they said, flight's canceled way in advance, we're going to put you on this other flight and it would get you to your destination after the wedding was going to take place, for instance, you have the right, you were owed a refund because they canceled that flight. Exactly. That should be a cash refund. Now, the department also wants to define significant changes to a flight. It would mean changes that affect the departure or arrival times by three hours or more for domestic flights, six hours or more for international flights, changes to the departure or arrival airport, changes that increase the number of connections, and changes to the type of aircraft flown if it causes a significant downgrade in the air travel experience or amenities aboard the flight. That seems like a good regulation. Absolutely. Um, There's a lot to discuss there. We could have a whole half-hour discussion on that. I won't get into it right now. I'll give you two minutes. uh, Okay, (laughs) fair enough. The change of gauge is what the airline industry calls the change of aircraft type. That goes all the way back to the railroad days, believe it or not. And so with the events surrounding the fatal accidents with the Boeing 737 MAX a few years ago, for example, uh, we spoke to an awful lot of people that said they never want to fly on a MAX again. Well, you might go into a reservation system and you're booked on a 737 that is not a MAX series. It's a different series of 737. And then at the last minute, the airlines changed to a MAX. And they now tell you, well, we're operating it with this flight. So if you don't want to get on the MAX, you're out of luck. That's just one change that could happen. What we also see all the time, every day, is that when there's a change of aircraft, what that usually means is that there is going to be a change of the seating plan. And so it's like taking a deck of cards and throwing them up in the the air if you had an assigned seat. I have seen complaint after complaint from consumers that say, we booked in advance, we did everything right, we booked our seats, we were all sitting together. And then at the last minute on the day of travel, they said, well, it's a different airplane now and you have to redo your seating assignments and everything got messed up, including traveling with small children, people with disabilities, all kinds of situations. So we cannot be specific enough on these regulations. We need to hear comments from all sorts of groups, not just consumer organizations and disability organizations, but from average consumers too that have experienced this. Uh, We're hoping the DOT gets inundated with comments. I should point out that Checkbook asked Airlines for America, that's the trade group that represents the major U.S. airlines, to comment on the proposed rule, but it declined to do so. One more point with this proposed rule. As part of this, the DOT announced that it has been investigating the 10 largest U.S. airlines and some enforcement action could be coming down the road. Sounds like maybe they're moving in the right direction here. Herb, I don't know how good the microphone is. Can it pick up a very loud sigh? That's the only way I can respond We hear it. (laughs) Okay, thank you. I want to tell you that I personally, along with other consumer advocates, have been in direct contact with the U.S. Department of Transportation since March of 2020, that is more than two and a half years now, asking about this issue. And we have been told on more than 11 occasions, I went back and added up all the meetings and the Zooms, we have been told repeatedly for two and a half years, there's an ongoing investigation. How long does it take? Now, the fact is, in 2020, when the DOT published its annual number of consumer complaints, they went off the chart. We hit all-time highs since they first started doing this in 1987. And the complaints about refunds, get ready for this number. It was 57 times the number in 2020 that it was in 2019. Now, that tells you the system was broken. That tells you that U.S. airlines were saying, we're not going to pay refunds, even in cases where they clearly were supposed to. We wouldn't even get into the gray areas of you know people being unable to travel due to health issues during COVID and all the rest of it. Senator Markey puts that total figure at more than $10 billion in unpaid refunds. So when I hear the DOT is still investigating this after two and a half years, it's like nails on a blackboard to me. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, this, this should have been wrapped up a long time ago. The Department of Transportation 
absolutely has an aversion to regulating airlines and defining airlines and to disciplining them when they need to be. And this is exhibit A. There's no question. Why is it taking all this time? We're going on almost three years now of investigating unpaid refunds. I could tell you right now who the worst suspects were because I read the DOT's own consumer complaints. Start with United Airlines, then take a look at Frontier Airlines. United had almost twice as much as many complaints about refunds as Delta or American, or roughly the same size. Uh, they had almost twice as many complaints. Clearly, something was wrong with United's refund system. Frontier Airlines had the most complaints on a per-passenger basis, a much smaller airline, but the complaints were so bad that the Colorado Attorney General publicly said, my hands are tied, but uh, I wish I could do something here. So enough with this. Now, Secretary Buttigieg has done numerous media appearances all summer long, and he keeps citing record fine that the DOT imposed on the issue of refunds. Well, <laughs> that's a half-truth, quite frankly. Uh, yes, it was a record fine, $25 million, but it was not against a U.S. airline. It was against Air Canada, and it later got negotiated down to $2 million. And the reason that the DOT fined Air Canada is that Air Canada publicly humiliated the DOT by saying publicly that they would not be paying refunds for U.S. travelers. The DOT's entire credibility was on the line. Now, that investigation didn't take two and a half years, did it? That was pretty quick. And they went in and they fined Air Canada. But our question is, Air Canada is a pretty small slice of the pie when you look at U.S. travelers waiting for refunds from airlines. What's going on with the U.S. airlines that it's taking two and a half years? So could more be done to protect the flying public? Maybe give the states the power to sue the airlines when they believe consumer protection laws are violated. We're going to talk to Bill about that straight ahead. You're listening to Consumerpedia, powered by Checkbook.org. Consumerpedia Fast Facts. Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson Airport is the country's busiest airport, handling more than 75 million passengers last year. When it comes to customer satisfaction, the best mega airport in the U.S. is Minneapolis-St. Paul International, according to a recent J.D. Power survey. Singapore Airlines operates the longest nonstop flight in the world, New York to Singapore. The 9,500-mile flight takes nearly 19 hours. When Congress deregulated the airlines back in the late 70s, it gave the DOT, the Department of Transportation, the sole power to regulate the airlines. In August, the National Association of Attorneys General wrote Congress asking for the authority to enforce state and federal consumer protections for airline passengers. Currently, state authorities can't sue an airline even when the victims are in their state. Bill, do you think this is a good idea? Oh, it's a great idea. In fact, great minds must think alike because at the very same moment that the state AGs, and there were 38 of them, by the way, and it's worth noting that it was a very bipartisan group in terms of uh, political parties. At the same time that they were announcing that they should have more authority, at American Economic Liberties Project, we were putting together a draft of what we're calling model legislation to repeal that federal preemption clause that was included in 1978. Now, when you start saying terms like federal preemption, I think if you're not a lawyer, your eyes start to roll a little bit back in your head. Let me just be very clear about what this means. In the real world, every day, as a consumer in America, you have fewer rights in dealing with an airline than you do in dealing with virtually any other company in any other industry. And what that means is that the DOT is the only sheriff in town, DOT in Congress. And so for the airline industry, you cannot sue an airline in state court, which, by the way, is where most class action suits are. So the airlines have this shield. It's like a, an invisible shield that prevents them from the mass of lawsuits that every other industry has to deal with. And state AGs have no authority whatsoever. And state legislatures have no authority. We're saying it's time for federal preemption 
to be eliminated. It is this protective shield that is keeping the airlines from having to respond to consumers. You know, the airlines talk a good game all the time about, you know, the free market and they just want to do their thing and not have too much oversight and not have burdensome regulations. Well, guess what? In the free market, you have to deal with the penalty of lawsuits and class action lawsuits. And the airlines have this protective shield against it. So we're saying enough with federal preemption. It's time for it to go. And I'm happy to say that we've had some conversations with members of Congress who are looking to sponsor the legislation soon. Great. So before we go, do you have a message for the airlines who've gotten away with treating their customers poorly in so many ways for so many years? Actually, I do. Yes. And, and that is that, you know, I'm, I'm someone who worked in the airlines I came from an airline family. I remember when it was such a great industry to work in and it was so great to fly. Um, It's not that way now. Customer service has just eroded to the point where it's all about the cost now for the airlines. They don't care if you're sitting in a seat that is dangerous uh, when there's an emergency evacuation. They don't care if they're charging you fees that add up to more than the, the base fare. And they certainly don't care when your flights are delayed and canceled. They've really gone too far. I think that the summer of 2022 is going to be looked at as a watershed. This was the summer when everyone got angry simultaneously. I I have people say to me all the time, there's something wrong with this industry. What is it? Well, I think we've all learned that this is a broken industry. It's a public utility because we all support it. Every time there's a problem, we give them a bailout like the $54 that the taxpayers gave two years ago. But when it comes to responding to customers, they're just absolutely tone deaf. And federal preemption is a big part of that. So we're saying federal preemption has to go and you have to start acting like every other company in America and start listening to customers. And for those of us who fly and are fed up and want to see things change, what can we do? It's important to weigh in at the Department of Transportation. They're asking for public comments now about the issue of refunds, and it's important to log in on that. But also reach out to members of Congress. You know, the irony this summer is that normally members of Congress are treated a little better by the airlines. But uh, I heard from so many members who were talking about their own flights being extensively delayed and canceled. It's a lot of anger in Washington right now. So I think consumers need to build on that. Reach out to members of Congress and let them know you want to see some meaningful change with the airlines. Bill McGee is a senior fellow at the American Economics Liberty Project. He is fighting for consumer rights in the skies. Bill, really important information. Thank you for spending time with us, and I hope you enjoy your flight. Thank you, Herb. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, that's it for this edition of Consumerpedia. You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. Remember, we release new ones every other Thursday. Another way you can support this show is to follow us on Consumerpedia on Facebook and Instagram and at MyConsumerpedia on Twitter. I'm Herb Weisbaum. Thanks for listening. Consumerpedia is a public service of Checkbook.org. We're a unique nonprofit that empowers you, the consumer, to save money and make smarter choices. From auto repair shops to doctors, plumbers to vets, you can count on Checkbook.org to help you find the best services and avoid the worst. Local ratings are unbiased and accurate. If you live in or around these seven cities and haven't joined Checkbook yet, check us out. Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, Seattle, San Francisco, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Washington, D.C. To get your free 30-day subscription, go to checkbook.org slash consumerpedia. Consumerpedia, empowering consumers to save money and make smarter choices.